1: Old, reverent, and occasionally random. The Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast starts now.
2: Buck, while you were down in Bermuda, I was getting kicked out of Little League Games and going to go see Top Gun Maverick. I took all three boys on Friday afternoon. Top Gun Maverick has now become the biggest, most successful, most lucrative Memorial Day movie launch ever. It is also the most successful Tom Cruise movie launch ever. And Tom Cruise obviously has been making movies for basically 40 years now. And it's as good as everybody says it is, Buck. I don't know what percentage of our audience went to see it or will see it in the near future. I would bet almost 100%, at least if you still go out to movie theaters at all. It's so good. It I, All three of my kids loved it. Uh, I took my seven, my eleven, and my fourteen-year-old with me. We watched it in the IMAX theater here in uh, in, in our town, and it was so fantastic. Uh, all all three boys gave it. Well, two of the boys gave it a ten. My youngest gave it a nine because he said he had trouble figuring out which pilot was which uh, was in which airplane. He wasn't fast enough. You can read the call, uh, call you know, signs, like the, yeah. yeah on the on the helmets uh he's just you know a relatively young reader as a first grader so he was like i sometimes got confused as to which pilot was which one um but all, the other three gave it a 10 he gave it a nine everybody loved it it was people were clapping it was n- completely not woke no political agenda other than hey the united states is awesome which i think there's a desperate demand for and it's a good two hours to go take your family if you're looking
1: for something fun to do. That's great. I, I already have uh, uh, Carrie and I are going on Friday. We've already yep. we're going go, we're going to go to one of the big theaters here in New York City to go check it out. Uh, we're excited about it. I've heard from, as you know, her father uh, uh, is a retired top gun naval aviator instructor. So you was. told
2: us that he watched an early version yes. of this and said it was great Fantastic. before like a m- 2 months ago. Well, or well,
1: for for a top gun instructor to tell you that the flying they do is really next level is that's really saying something. He says the, the they did not see they did not CGI it, they were actually up in yeah. those planes. I saw a stat, I think it was on Fox this morning that to fly the F-18s uh, they were spending it's eleven thousand dollars. Uh, and I think it said an hour, uh, which is actually a little less than I thought it would be. But they had to, the navy had to be reimbursed for the cost. They really were flying those planes. Is the point. Yes. It's actual flying that you're seeing. They go very close to the hard top, uh, very low flying, fifty the, feet in some places from the ground. That's I mean that's uh you make one you know you you blink and you're in the dirt. From what I again I'm not a pilot, but this is what this is what he said. So that part of it, I think, is exciting, but it also speaks to, uh, I-, I think, Clay, the broader trend that you've identified, and we can all feel now, I mean, Netflix has just gotten annihilated as a stock. By the way, I have I have um, no longer a Disney Plus subscriber, no longer a Hulu subscriber, about to cancel Netflix, by the way, because the F1 show is over. Uh, the only- You're not going to watch Str- Stranger Things season four? I couldn't even get through the last season. I, I-, uh. I-, I like the first, I love the first season, and I even yeah. like the second season, but the third season, I was just like, I don't really see what's going on here, so... Uh, I'm not a, not a huge Stranger Things fan. I gotta keep uh, I gotta keep Amazon Prime because I got my Yellowstone. I gotta get through Clay because you got me onto that one. By the way, about 150 pages into Undaunted Courage, it's good, huh? I'm 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 now I'm double I'm sort of uh, you know double timing it with that and the Keegan History of the First World War. It is very good. And I agree with your sentiment. This is what made me think of it that it would be an excellent, uh, you could make this into a fantastic series. I think more than a movie. Oh, yeah. You need to do a series. No, it, it has it to be, be like a multi year yeah. series. I mean, this should be, a, I mean, if Netflix was serious about making great entertainment that people would love and would make them subscribe, uh, or Amazon Prime, or any of these companies that have so much money to do this stuff, they'd make a Lewis and Clark series and make it really good and really show us um, I what I think it would be the biggest hit.
2: Of any streaming ever. Like, I think that's how popular it could be.
1: People want to see stories that are inspiring, cool heroes, good guys, bad guys. And, yeah, in this country, want to see stuff that, you know, at least makes us generally feel good about America and being Americans and everything else. I mean, it is for entertainment purposes, right? I just feel like. Everything has turned into an opportunity for a political lecture in in entertainment these days, and it's it's tiresome. It's really it re- enough people view it as tiresome that I hope the marketplace is going to start to take it in a different direction now. That, that's honestly part of
2: it. Truly, just a marketplace decision. If everybody else is making shows and movies, and they just constantly are selling the idea that America sucks, our history is indefensibly bad. And you just pivot and say, you know what? I want to make an America is awesome movie or an America is awesome television show. There's a desperate demand for it right now. I I just I I feel it. I can I can pick up on it. Even Memorial Day. I'm sure a lot of you felt it. I felt like there's almost more flags out than than I'm used to in the past. Like so many people want to be aggressively pro-America and patriotic and aren't being served by the marketplace.
1: I'm gonna go see it on Friday. Give you my give you my review, and uh, I, you know I'm, I'm this this book recommendation thing, Clay. That we're gonna put on clayandbuck.com, dot com. It's got to go both ways here, buddy. So I got some in mind for you. The Shackleton Voyage: Endurance. I would check- love to read that. So that's I'm in fact jotting that down. You talked about that before. It is a crazy story about the voyage of Ernest Shackleton uh, down in antarctica uh, i highly highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen that we'll put this up I'm buying buck. it today Com.
2: i just jotted that down endurance i'm gonna buy it today i'll yeah. start reading it when it gets here sundays with clay and buck
0: more than a movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time
4: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me,
3: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
6: Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear
5: I look like my baggage.
6: I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to Clay and Buck. We loved the movie Top Gun Maverick, as you all know. And we said, you know, we should get somebody who actually knows something, knows a whole heck of a lot about flying. Joining us now is Joe Flatley. He was a real life Top Gun fighter pilot instructor. He's a third generation naval aviator, retired Navy FA 18 strike and fighter pilot, and F 5 adversary pilot. Joe, thanks for calling in to Clay and Buck. We appreciate it. Oh,
7: yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks, me. So, having. what
1: was your. You, you actually were the guy, or among the guys, I should say, training folks in Top Gun. What was some of the best stuff that you saw in the movie? I mean, in terms of the flying, the way they depicted the program, we just want to know what did you think?
7: Yeah, well, it was a good movie. It was a great, uh, great sequel to the first one, which came out when uh, when I was just going through advanced jet training, so just about to finish up uh, um, pilot training and and getting ready to go off to fly F eighteen. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, the first movie was great, and this was a great sequel, and. And the flying scenes in this, I thought, were much better. Um, you know, so it was kind of hard to tell, actually, how much CGI was going on there. Um, <clears throat> obviously some of the flying scenes, well, not obviously probably to the layperson, but, uh, you know, airplanes, uh, the proximity they had in the, in the movie, the airplanes to each other as they were fighting, probably not that realistic, but, uh, but for cinemographic reasons, you know, that's, that's the way you have to present it, but still very, very well done, I thought. And again, Joe, hard to tell what the CGI was in there, except maybe in a couple instances. So if there was some, and I'm sure there was. So. Joe, when
2: 1986, when the original Top Gun came on, I believe the overall naval recruiting for went up like 500% for people who have forgotten what an unbelievable hit that movie was back in 1986. As a guy who was training as a Top Gun pilot back in 1986, what was it like for that movie to come out and did everybody think you were lying when you were out at the bars and you would say, Hey, you know, I'm actually a top gun fighter pilot, uh, because I imagine that became a pretty popular line for guys to be dropping all over the place.
7: Yeah, I think, you know, it gave us all something to be full of ourselves about, uh, not that we weren't all ready, but um but yeah, it was uh, the timing was good for a guy like me and then and and like you said, recruiting boom. And um and that lasted a while. And it's funny. After the, I got to go to the premiere out in San Diego, and it was it was all Navy. Um, some civilians were out there, but um, uh, basically they ran the premiere for the Navy people that put it on. And, and one of the discussions afterwards was was that this was probably going to be another boost for for naval aviation. With the comment being that that you know this war that we're we're now pretty much out of um, the beginning or all through it's actually fairly good recruiting for special ops. Whether they're you know whichever service it was, um, and that I don't know that naval aviation has suffered, um, but but I think they're ripe for another recruiting boom now with this movie.
1: We're well, speaking of Joe Flatley. He was a Top Gun fighter pilot uh, instructor. He retired after 14 years active duty plus six years reserve duty as a naval aviator. Uh, tell everybody about about your your dad, Jim Flatley. He was a Navy test pilot, Vietnam era fighter pilot. With three hundred and fifty combat missions.
7: Yeah, well, we, um, I'm third generation, so my, yeah, you know, like you just said, my dad before me, uh, fighter pilot flew fans mostly Vietnam, but uh, prior to Vietnam, he was a test pilot there, Patuxent River, where the Navy did all its test work. And uh, his distinction, um, or his, his, his yeah, you know, famous moment was uh, taking the C-130, which is a big. Four-engine cargo airplane. You can see it on YouTube if you just Google C-130 carrier landing. But that was his project. Uh, just a young guy right out of test pilot school, and they and they uh, sent him out to the ship and the C-130. Never been done before. Everybody thought he was crazy for doing it. Got it done, and uh, and uh, and and the 350 combat missions, being the skipper of a squadron that didn't lose a single airplane during Vietnam. His tour as a skipper, anyway. Um, uh, he's not known for that. He's known for the C one hundred and thirty thing. So it's, uh, it's it's we get a laugh out of that.
2: So. Your grandfather also was a World War two flying ace in the South Pacific, going up against the Japanese Zero uh, fighters. How many? First of all, how many third generation fighter pilots are there? I mean, because the, the math on it doesn't work out where there could be very many in the first place. And uh, the, one one of the things that I found so fascinating was. There's a a scene, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but in Top Gun Maverick where the jet evolution is discussed in terms of the technology and how much different it was between, I think, the F-14 and the F-18. For people who are up in these planes, I'm curious how many of these different aircraft you have flown in. Have you flown in what your grandfather would have flown in and what your father would have flown in? And uh, and, and kind of discuss, if you would, how much evolution there's been in the fighter
7: jets. Oh, the evolution has been tremendous. I mean, if you just start working backwards from the F-35, which is, which is, you know, unbelievable technology. I haven't, I haven't been in it. I haven't been in a simulator. I'm, I can't even begin to discuss what exactly it is. And most of that's probably classified anyway, but I will go tell you that back in 1987, just as I finished up my F-18 training, getting ready to go off to my fleet squadron and went to the McDonnell Douglas plant there in St. Louis and got some, uh, some specialized training, high speed anti anti radiation missile harm, um that we would use to target radar sites. And McDonnell Douglas put that on for us and part of that, you know, they took us on a tour of their facility there, and this is talking to technology, eighty seven. They they sat us in the mock up of a cockpit and it was just one big piece of glass. And they said, Yeah, this is a future cockpit, it's all gonna be touch screen and we're going, touch screen, what's that? and and that I, I believe is pretty much the F35 cockpit now so it that it has it has evolved quite a bit but going back to my granddad's day in the F4 Wildcat and the F6 uh Hellcat and his other people flew the Corsairs um very capable fighters for the time but but absolutely nothing compared to what we have now i mean they were shooting they were shooting bullets um basically uh where we're shooting missiles now that are that are targeting beyond visual range so um, completely different technology
1: joe no what do you whatsoever. tell us about the the selection process into top gun i mean since you were a top gun instructor obviously you had a number of people coming through in those classes how does one i mean for some of the so we probably have some people listening right now by the way we have a huge military audience both active and, and former uh military current and former military uh, so we might have somebody who's, you know, 15, 16, listening, goes, you know, I, I want to go into a Top Gun program. How does that work?
7: Well, uh, just to clarify, I was a Top Gun-trained adversary pilot. Um, they run they run a course, and I, I, I don't know what the latest is on timing-wise, but back in my day, it was a 10-week course. And then I went through the first five weeks as an adversary pilot. Then I was qualified to go out and teach as an adversary pilot on the adversary so adversary being we were the bad guys we'd go out and simulate um enemy forces whether russian or or whatever tactics and um and we were right now kind of
1: like merlin in the original movie right isn't that
7: there, there you go perfect yeah, yeah that's it. that was exactly it. it's flying the f5 which uh which was what uh which the bad guys were flying in the first movie so uh, which is still being flown as an adversary today but um so that's what I did. But, yeah, to get there, you know, obviously uh, it's the cream of the crop. The Top Gun instructors themselves are next level. You know, probably a terrible comparison, but uh, it would be like, uh, you know, a doctor specialist uh, versus a physician's assistant in the family practice. You know, terrible comparison. But the Top Gun instructor versus an instructor like myself. Um, but to get there, you know, it's selection. Uh, you've got to do well. you got to be um, – uh, basically recommended for that job and then you got to get through it and that's a pretty arduous arduous program those guys go through just to teach the classes that they teach
1: from the <laughs> top gun program joe flatley everybody mr mr flatley thank you very much sir for calling to clay and buck we appreciate it
7: hey thanks for having me um happy to be here
2: thanks so much third generation fighter pilot that's pretty badass buck
1: it's as badass as it gets.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, so. that's crazy to think about, right? Your grandfather fought against uh, the Japanese and yeah. the Pacific, and then all the way up through the, the, the movies today and everything else. I mean, that's My incredible. grandfather
1: was in the Navy, but he was on the USS Bataan. So he was at Leyte Gulf. Didn't talk about it very much until later on, then he would talk about it occasionally.
2: Sunday Sizzle with Clay and Buck.
1: We got a call from Greg in Monterey, California. We could take that one. He wants to talk about the Jack Ryan series on Amazon Prime, and I'm definitely about to upset some people. Greg, thanks for calling in. (laughs) Hey. Hey, guys. Hey, I wanted to just compliment you guys. You guys are really – We all loved Rushbow, but you guys just have carved out a whole feel of your own, and it's just just fantastic. So that's one thing I wanted to let you know. But, yeah, I've heard you talk about different Netflix, Amazon Prime series, and maybe I missed it, but have you talked about Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan? Because you are Jack Ryan, Buck. I mean, the guy does have great hair. He rose crew, and he was an analyst for the CIA. (laughs) So there are some similarities, and, Greg, I appreciate you pointing them out. I, the Jack Ryan series, I just thought was, I saw the first season and I was like, this is just kind of ridiculous. I mean, I, I wish it was that cool that you go from writing the reports at Langley to all of a sudden you're like interrogating a terrorist and you got the MP5 yeah. and you're laying down the hate against the enemy and the whole thing. And then the second season, I got like two episodes in and I, and this is my problem. People ask me like, what CIA shows do you like? I've become that guy who I'm like, this is, I can't. They're too unrealistic. I can't do it. I look at this. I'm like, this is... He's got, like, classified documents out on the table at his hotel, and he's got some, you know, hot lady who's, like, coming up to hang out with him. I'm like... Who plays you, Jack Ryan in this show? John Krasinski, who I will say is he is very good, and he's phenomenal in 13 Hours, which is a movie that, that does touch on this stuff, the same genre, and I do like a lot. I thought 13 Hours was great. So despite what people say, I don't hate everything uh, about movies... But uh, but Greg, I, I gotta say it was not. I liked the Terminal List more than I liked the uh, Jack Ryan series. Do you watch oh, well, Quiet see, that's Place? because you've got yeah, you've got your background. But season one was much better. Season two was a complete fall off. They turned him into Rambo, you know, instead yeah. of having that. I got. I watched deal, all so uh, of season one of the Jack Ryan. thank you for calling in, Greg.
2: Uh, I like you. John Krasinski. Uh, he's, the Office is maybe the funniest show that's ever been made. I mean, it gets better and better. It ages like fine wine. It's up there
1: uh, with Seinfeld, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. oh I, I think the only reason for a while I was even subscribing to Netflix was because it had The Office, and then when it lost it, I guess it went to Paramount Plus or one of the. other things. I think that's things. right. It's
2: back, it's back um, in the Comcast family. But A Quiet Place 1 and A Quiet Place 2, which Krasinski wrote and directed, are both really well done the, as well.
1: The, The two actors who have made, who are our contemporaries. Yeah, basically our um, age. The two actors who have made the, I think, the the sort of coolest transformation in their careers are the two actors that I was just effectively uh, referencing there. Chris Pratt from another show which I love, Parks and Rec, when he went, uh, you know, and he transformed himself into basically like a Navy SEAL badass guy actor, obviously. And and John Krasinski, when he decided that he was going to be in 13 hours, you know, he put on like 15 or 20 pounds of muscle, grew a beard and uh, all of a sudden was, you know, ready to throw down for America. So those guys did a great job. That's when I'm in the gym and I'm like, I can't do any more deadlifts. I'm like, look at John Krasinski. Yeah, but I
2: bet those guys, to be fair, also went strong HGH. There's no way those guys got oh, as ripped as they did. Be, all natural. If we
1: have some fitness experts out there in this audience, which I I, I know we do, we just haven't had them calling in a while. I'm I'm amazed at the the more I learn about this and the closer I am to it, the amount of of uh, additional testosterone beyond. It's not for hypogonadism, which is when you actually have a testosterone deficiency, or have your own show as a guy on CNN. Um, <laughs> but but it's which that's the that's the way they can diagnose these things but the uh the amount of hgh and testosterone that people just are the guys are consuming now yeah. um in order to get a certain look and have a certain have a certain strength profile is is pretty shocking the more i find out about this from people who know and even i've learned these things now like cuz on tiktok they're always talking about it and on instagram these different steroids a lot of people take steroids which yeah. i have found out is I mean, by anybody who's – I mean, if you look at, say, um, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Yes. Uh, that's not just from – I don't know what he's doing, but it's not just from eating lots of chicken breast and a few extra pull-ups. I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. I'm but- t- I told you. I said, when we, we talked about Swole Bezos. If you
2: haven't seen the pictures of Jeff Bezos, he got divorced and he got super ripped. I've said this before. I'm 43 right now. When I'm like 50, I'm going to get super ripped – and I'm gonna take whatever I need to do to get super ripped. And anybody who asks, I'm gonna be like, Yeah, I just, you know, started eating a little healthier and doing oh, push ups totally. and sit ups. That makes and it so to much more fun. You're like totally yeah, I just lie.
1: decided to go with lean chicken breast and brown rice and That's instead what they always say.
2: That's what they always say, right? Like you're like Jeff Bezos, you're fifty five. You've never been in good shape your whole life, and suddenly your body fat percentage is three. Like at 55 the math doesn't add up and they all they're always like well you know i just started living healthier yeah and injecting yourself with a lot of hgh yeah,
1: just started doing that CrossFit, you know, those kettlebell swings all of a sudden really <laughs> kicked in, added a 20 I'm pounds done, of muscle. I've
2: done all that stuff, all right? To, I'm not in awful physical condition, but I've weighed pretty much the same thing, and I am not ripped. So l- suddenly l- for our my fitness 50s, experts, I'm, be I'm,
1: I'm sure we have some, uh, some bodybuilder competitors and stuff listening right now. If you have any, any thoughts for Clay and I on, on our thesis here, that a lot of these actors you see are taking stuff. You know, a lot of them are taking things. A lot there's of there's no
2: way. Like, did you watch Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? He's got that scene where he's on top of the roof and he's like, uh, uh, like, do- takes his shirt off. He's almost 60, Brad Pitt, like 55 or whatever the heck he is. And he looks like he's 24. There's
1: no way that's real. Yeah. So anyway, maybe that's the case. Or maybe Clay and I just need to get our asses up earlier and do more deadlifts. and need more chicken breast. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Rappaport's reality—the reality, the reality a little of us—we're figuring little bit. <laughs>
3: out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. It, it would have been. Ooh, a, it would have been The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn.
4: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me,
3: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get
6: your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast.
1: Some things, Clay, maybe I shouldn't necessarily admit on the on the radio show with a few million people listening to this. But one one weird idea that I've had, I've actually I've actually told Carrie, my fiance about this, is that I've just always thought that there are certain animals that'd be really cool to have as a pet. And certain states, Florida, for example, if you get if you get a license, you can have a pet fox if you one so example. like what animal would you think that you would like to have as i a pet? think and this is weird and i know this but we're going we're going deep into nerddom here folks i think having a pet red fox would be really cool there are all these instagram accounts that exist with people with their pet foxes
2: can you train them to walk like dogs and stuff or no
1: i mean they're technically still wild animals that are not really domesticated but they make cute noises and they're furry and you can rub them and you know they're they're Friendly. You can have a pet fox if you want to have a pet fox in In Florida. some states. In New York, you can't even have a pet hedgehog. I've looked into this. And hedgehogs are tiny and and, and really inoffensive. But, you know, I, I basically what I'm saying is I think some exotic pets would be kind of cool. A wombat is technically endangered, so that's never going to happen. But if you've ever seen, like, a wombat sanctuary, it looks like people are having a lot of fun with the wombats there. And if you don't know, what they look like... Uh, I don't know, they kind of look like a, a fat koala. I mean, that's the best so way. So you,
2: you by the way, are a good test on this because you're now engaged. But have you ever dated a girl with a pet snake? It's a rule.
1: No, no, I you do not do it. The- I do not date the females with the pet snake. Pet tarantula, even scarier. But I, I've known a couple of women with pet snakes. And look, everyone needs to be judged as an individual. But I do think it's a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of a warning sign. That's all I'm going to say. Huge
2: red flag. I'll give you an example of something I saw. I was down in uh, uh, in in Florida where, where I spent some decent time. I was in the gym near my place, and this really good-looking girl, probably in her 20s, is in there working out. She has a huge skeleton-like head tattoo on her back. Like, you see her from the front, and you're like, hey, this 24-year-old girl, she's really good-looking, she turned her. I've never seen a more terrifying tattoo on her upper upper like shoulder is a huge skull like just a skull tattoo. And I actually am kind of curious why she got it. But that to me is kind of the equivalent of girl who has a snake like skull tattoo on the back. I am i don't know what's going on there, but I'm staying away. I, I, I there is trepidation. There is fear. Uh, even if I were a single guy, good looking girl skull tattoo. I'm out. Same thing with a snake. So I'm not dangerous about the snakes.
1: There are snakes, and then there are snakes. If you want to have a little pet, you know, garter snake or something that you feed crickets to, I don't get it. You know, because I just think that the mammal reptile barrier. The reptiles are not; they're not our buddies, right?
0: They're not. They're not
1: bonding with you. You're either a source of food, or are the food. Like there's, there's not really anything else you're doing. But when you have a snake that is. And you see these, sometimes they have these shows on Animal Planet and stuff. There'll be some guy, and they're like, oh, man, we just got the call. One of these guys who has, like, a spitting cobra, he was doing his laundry, and he knocked over the spitting cobra cage every he has. Every snake gets out of its and, cage. This and, is my theory. It and, 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 and doesn't and matter what the too They always get out. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm real scared now because it's, like, not just very venomous, but it spits the venom in your face from up to 20 feet. But I thought this was cool, so I got it as a pet. You're looking at this guy like you're out of your mind. Clay, in Pennsylvania, this is why we're talking about this, they had to call cops because the owner of a 15-foot-long python, a 15-foot-long python. I don't, Th-
2: how big is the, a cage for a 15 or tank
1: or whatever for a 15-foot python? Not big enough. Yeah, I mean it. It got af. It got out. What a shock! It yeah. wrapped itself around the owner, and then was as snakes do, because he is food to a fifteen foot. Started to constrict oh, no. and block his airway, and basically slowly asphyxiate him. He calls nine one one while being choked out by while the snake. being choked out by the python. The cops get there because fortunately it was, you know, a slow enough process and they were able to to get there. The cop gets there, has to draw his sidearm and blow the python's head off while it is still wrapped around the owner. The owner is apparently okay. But if, right, this is crazy. I'm like just. If you have a 15-foot snake, I'm just going to say
2: it is 14 feet too long, everybody. I want to hear from this cop. So. How did he even, did he have to hold the snake's this head? Is, this with is amazing. One?
1: The l- l- lieutenant that they, this is on Fox 29. I've been doing this job for 19 years. It's the first time I've seen anything like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you no think?
2: Crap. But I mean, I'm, I'm saying like, I'm sure the cop was like, well, I can't fire the gun at the at the snake because it'll go
1: through the snake and kill the guy. So I'm genuinely so, so curious. So they know like, the snake, the middle of it was wrapped around the guy and the head, they talk about this in the, in the uh, local news piece on it. The head was separated enough from him while it. Well, remember, you come yes. in here. the snake is killing this guy. Yeah, okay? I get it. Yeah, and and they and the guy had to line it up and blow the snake's head off while it was still wrapped around and constricting him. I mean, that's a tough. What I'm saying is that's a tough shot, right? No, well, no, but he he got up close to it, and and this, you know, because the snake okay. can only, you know, I've seen anaconda; they can usually only take down one at a time, right? So once it's got the guy, it's immobilized, and so they're able to line it up. But uh, it's still scary as all hell, man. I mean, this is crazy. How long after you bl- – I, I don't know the answer to
2: this, but, like, how long after you blow the snake's head off, was he able to get the
1: guy out? Oh, and I think they got it off relatively quickly. I don't know, though. How would you ever sleep again? By the way, they found that this was the man's pet, and there were several, several other snake enclosures in the home. This dude is crazy. I mean, Completely- I tell you. Ya- And totally crazy. You know, a couple of things, folks, for the for the single uh, male listeners of Clay and Buck, if if a young lady sits down and says, I hate my dad slash (laughs) I have a 15 foot boa constrictor, either of these things are not a good sign. Do you agree with me
2: on the skull tattoo, too? Would that be a big like this would be tough to get over?
1: The dating and tattoo conversation as a whole, we got to do a whole segment on that. There are
2: lots of tattoos I'm not terrified of. No, no, there's different, that's the thing, not all tattoos are the same. I'm running.
0: More Than a Movie is back with season two, I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
1: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the
0: coldness of Michael.